0: It's like it's uh, turning out to be a, a good day after all, at least weather-wise there. It looks pretty good. I feel like I'm the, the weather forecast. Every week, I start with talking about the weather. It's, I don't <laughs> we get, can you get the map up here, Nick, the, uh, the, the, the lows and the highs? And uh, we've been studying first John now for uh, probably three months, probably and we're going verse by verse through it, and uh, we are have come to a place now in chapter three today where we're going to be talking about the topic of love. And John starts that topic, he mentioned it before, and just remember the, he's writing to a church that has been under attack from false teachers, from false teachings, and it's Pretty much the same as uh, today. There's always false teachings going out. We're always being bombarded, especially with the internet today and, and television. We're always getting uh, Gospels, much like Paul says in Galatians, You know that uh, are not any Gospel at all. And it, it was the same thing back then in, when John writes this around AD 90, AD 95. Somewhere in there. We don't have the exact date, but we can kind of zero in to a, a, a portion there. And he's writing, and if you remember, he's trying very hard to remind these Christians that they have the true faith. They are saved. Uh, the key verse I said is in chapter 5, verse 13. John says, that if for those who believe, he says, if you believe, those who believe in the name of the Son of God, he says you have eternal life. He makes that clear that faith and salvation go together. It's those who trust in the work of Christ and have repented naturally, have turned toward Christ from their wicked ways, that they are saved. Because the other false teachers came in, these early Gnostic teachers. They weren't the full-blown Gnostics of the 2nd and 3rd century, but it was the beginnings of it. And they were telling the people, it's not by faith in Christ, it's by secret knowledge, special knowledge that we possess. And we can share that with you and pass that on to you. And because of that, people left the church. Now, think about the people who were remaining in the church... They're, they're wondering, did they know something we don't know? Is there something to this special knowledge? And John makes it clear here. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, you know, so that you may know that you have eternal life. He's giving them assurance. Every Christian should have assurance. That's something, if you don't have assurance, you need to go back and review what you believe. What have you come to a place in your life? Is there a change in your life? We, we talked about that at the last time, about the idea John is talking about that the true Christian, one of the traits of a true Christian is he has righteousness in his life. In fact, John says the one who doesn't have righteousness, he's a liar. He's not saved. And those false teachers, they saw that. They weren't living righteous lives because they lived a philosophy called dualism. Dualism says that matter, I've, you must know this by now, I've been pounding you with it, but matter is evil. Anything physical is evil. Anything spiritual is good. So think about it, our bodies are physical, they're evil. So, there's no such thing as sin. The body just does what it wants to do. And these guys are living immoral lives and promoting to live immoral lives. And John, if you remember the last time, he's saying, no, no, no. He's saying, the Christian has the presence of righteousness. Why? Because Christ is righteous. Our righteousness, if we're in union with Christ, that righteousness should be flowing through us. For the Christian, the body is important. The Bible makes that clear that our bodies, how we live, are absolutely important. Our bodies are an expression of what we believe, aren't they? And think about it. Christ, he had a resurrected body. His body, he came back with a glorified body when he was raised from the dead. And the Bible tells us that we are going to have a glorified body, a perfect body. I wait for that i 'll tell you, oh, more and more, I wait for that, and when you get up in the morning and you feel those aches and but so what John is doing he 's trying to get them to see that they do have salvation because he knows that they put their faith in christ and he 's saying you 're saved, but now today, what he does is talk about the mark of the Christian in fact i the title you have there is not right I'm I'm I told you I'm not good with titles and clever little uh (laughs) as as far as titles on things like that I uh I I called it into the office and then I realized no that's not really what I wanted to talk about so I the 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 title should be intro love the mark of a Christian and it's not in not because of the secretary's fault it's me. I got it in too late. So, uh, anyway, we're going to talk about the mark of a Christian today. And if you would turn to 1 John, and we're actually, I'm doing only an intro because we're not going to stay in 1 John today. We're going to take that principle of what the overall scripture is talking about, but we're going to look at love. Because lots of times we'll look at a portion of scripture. And this portion of Scripture is talking about love. But what do we know about love? What do we understand about godly love? And maybe we'll do an introduction today on that before we finally then get into verse by verse. Okay, Uh, before we do that and read and look at this Scripture, if you would pray with me, please. Father, we rejoice in you today, Lord. You are our life. You are the giver of new life. Lord, you have forgiven us. You have given us hope and an eternal future with you, Lord. Lord, we ask that you would come now by your Spirit Take these words which are living and active, Lord. May you help me to share the truth in a way, Lord, that would be taken in by those who listen, Lord. And may we somehow get this into our bloodstream, that would we be a people who truly love you and love one another. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. Okay. Let's, let me read this first, if you want to read along uh, in your Bibles. And again, I'm, I, I use the NIV. I know a lot of you maybe have ESV or the New American Standard. It's all God's Word. Okay. So here, uh, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, I'm going to start. We're going to look at 11 through 18 today. This is the message you heard from the beginning, not the beginning as far as Genesis. He's talking about the beginning of when you first heard the gospel message. So he says, this is the the message you heard from the beginning of hearing the gospel. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. There's John making real clear light and dark distinctions. Life and death, light and dark. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. Love is the mark of a Christian. Jesus told His disciples, He said, I give you a new command, love one another. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then He says, by this all men will know, what? What? that you are my disciples. That's the mark, he says, when people see this love that I've shared with you and now you're showing it, it's, it's, you're replicating that love, he says. People are going to know you're different. Remember we talked the last time too, I said, you cannot be a Christian. I'm sorry, that means born again. I always like when people say I'm a born again Christian. What they're saying is, I'm a born-again, born-again, or a Christian-Christian. Born-again, if you're born-again, you're a Christian. You can't be a Christian unless you're born-again. So, you know, we kind of get redundant on that, and I get redundant too here. But uh, anyway, if you are a Christian, you cannot be the same person you were. Think about what that term means to be born again. You're a whole new person. Paul says that, right? He says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Not perfect. Still sinful. But, we have the Holy Spirit which helps us and guides us. Like Paul talks about in Galatians 5-6, right? The flesh and the Spirit. There's always that, that war in there. But that's what our battle is. But, We have the potential. I'm not not declaring Christian perfection here, okay? No. We have the potential to not sin. We really do. We we have the Holy Spirit in us. And yet we choose. That's why Paul says, uh, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You know, we, we have these times where we get quiet with the Lord and we feel so committed and stuff, and then our brain, you know, the sinful nature starts to think about how can I gratify these desires? And before you know it, your body leads and follows along like that. Well, today, we're talking about the changed person, the person who has righteousness, we talked about now, the person who has love, and that is... The message, if you think about it, and I I know I I think I preached on this for New Year's, uh, we have verses like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And we have them memorized. But do we really, really live by that? I, I know I, I'm, I'm a broken record maybe sometime, but my greatest concern is that we take the Scriptures and get them in our bloodstream so that the truth flows out in our life, that we, our lives are changed. How many of you are, are sitting, how many of us are, are sitting here or standing this morning and we find... You know, we say, oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. But then you get back into the same patterns. Or we say, oh, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and my neighbor as myself. And then you take a review of the day. Do you really do that? And look, we're not perfect. We understand that. That's why we have repentance. That's why Christ died for us. But... We don't want to use that as an excuse. Didn't Jesus say, which we understand is not... Techni- not it, it is possible, but we can't do it because we, we struggle with that sin. We're not willing to... Jesus said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, he was setting the standard. He was saying the standard is perfection. Okay, we're going to fall short of the bar, but if we strive low... If we strive like those early Gnostics and say, ah, the body's evil, it's sinful, you're going to live an immoral life. But if you set the bar at purity, hopefully you'll be reaching as hard as you can for purity there and and not to sin. So John begins here, and he talks about love. What do we know about love? Love is the... Uh, mark of the Christian, I'm saying. How much love is there in your life? I, I, I want you to just think for a minute. I've been thinking about this for a couple of weeks. And how much love really is evident in my life toward God? If I love God, I should be loving others the way I love myself. But that doesn't happen many times. Sometimes I have those, those moments of, you know, of, of wanting to sacrifice. But many times I find the struggle is I love myself more than I love others. I remember when I applied for a job after I retired uh, to drive a, a bus for an adult community and they were going, they were going through all these all these things on how to treat people. And it was, you know, because they were older people and there were pages and the thing went on for an hour or so. They were talking about, and when we got done, I went up to the uh, HR person and I said, you know, I said, it's funny, we, we go through pages and pages of material, but you know what we could sum it up as? Love your neighbor as yourself and she kind of got offended at that i guess because first of all it was biblical and this is her job this this promoting all these pages of stuff to read about how you should treat people i said it's really simple we just love one another as ourselves and she said well not everybody loves one, not not everybody loves themselves that's where and i looked at her and i said really i said don't you think the problem is we love ourselves too much and not others and she just well, I don't know, I just, you know, it, was, it was one of those. She, she, and I didn't push it, I said, I do want this job. You know, so I, um, she's the HR person, you know, who called you in to say, we've really appreciated your, your year here, but unfortunately, you're out. You know, I, I didn't want that at the time. So I figured, okay, I made my point and don't kill it. Anyway, love. It's funny because the word love in our culture it, uh, it's so varied, what it means, right? How many people love their dog? How many people love chocolate ice cream? Or, or love chocolate? I mean, I say that, right? I say, I love chocolate. You know? But I don't love chocolate the way I love Carol. You know, it's a total different love. I, I would hope so, you know, as far as that. As, I don't love my wife the way I love chocolate. I don't love hiking with her the way I love her. I shouldn't love those things the way I love God. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many variations of love, but we only have that one word. So it kind of loses something in English. And in the, the original Greek, the Greeks, what they did is in, in classical Greek, they would have all kinds of shades for words like love. And most of you are probably familiar with them. You know, but they, they would take the idea of physical love and call it eros. That was more of a, of, of a physical type of love, of that attraction like that. They had phileo. That's a brotherly type of love. That's an affection for someone, a, a loving affection like a brother to one another. They had st- uh, sturge, which was a, a, a parental type of love. It was a, almost a protective type of love. But the word that we always talk about as Christians, the word is actually agape. We usually say agape. It's the way everybody knows it as. And so I'll use Agape. That word was actually coined for the New Testament. That doesn't exist. If you go through classical Greek literature in the Greek, you will not find that word. It was coined for the New Testament. As they wrote the New Testament, they said, none of these words, you know, none of these words really describe the love that God shows for us. So what they did is they got the word agape, or agape. And that's the word the best i think the best definition of it is the most common word in the, the most common verse in the new testament john 3:16 you want to know what agape love is for god so loved the world he agaped the world that he what he gave his one and only son the love that is referring to agape is a love that gives, it's a self-sacrificing love for others, not for yourself. You know, someone I think, I can't remember who, but kind of described it as that agape love is a love that puts the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of others above my own. That's God. You want a picture of what agape love is? Think of Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but what? he made himself nothing being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man it says he became be found he humbled himself it says even to death on a cross he gave up everything he gave up his throne he sacrificed his throne and all his godly privileges we can say of that, of being God, and he became a man. He literally went from the greatest to just a creature. A creature, and he was surrounded by sinful creatures. And then he sacrificed himself. That's a picture of agape love. Like that. Uh, anyway, let me move on here. Uh, otherwise, we'll be here for supper time, and I don't want to do that. Uh, so. I'll move on with this. So this is the idea of love, but how often do you sacrifice for others? And you know what the tough part is? Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. But he says, But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who purse against you. That's agape love. That's love that's costing something. That's even when someone is, quote, your enemy, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemy. When he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy, the reason he's saying that is because that's what the rabbis were teaching that's not what the bible says if you go to leviticus you don't have to go now but if you write it down and look at it look at what the bible said in leviticus 1918 it said do not seek revenge or hold a, uh, a grudge against one of your people love your neighbor as yourself that's what we're told to do and the, but what the the, the rabbis did is said, okay, love your neighbors yourself, but hate your enemies. That wasn't scripture. And that's why Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, Jesus is saying, no, no. This is what God's saying here. And he says, how do you do with that? How do you do with the person at work that is treating you miserable? Unfairly absolutely treating you in a way that you could consider them almost your enemy and they're above you, how do you treat them? How do you look at them? <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? isn't it? It's like, this is not fair. We, we like to always say that. That's not fair. Or, oh, I've had enough of it. Okay, that's it. I'm, I'm going to stop it right now. I'm going I'm to go in there. I'm going to, you know. And maybe there are instances where you need to confront a person if it's such extreme injustice. But many times, I'll put it this way. Remember when Peter was with Jesus? And he, I think he was trying to impress the other disciples and he was trying to impress Jesus. And he said, Lord, he said, uh, how many times, he says, should I forgive my brother who sins against me? He says, Seven times? What did Jesus say? He says, Peter, 70 times seven, he goes. And that ties directly into what we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So would you please go to 1 Corinthians? If you want to follow along, if you want to just listen, just listen. But otherwise you can look in 1 Corinthians because it's a whole chapter. And everyone has read through I bet you everyone has read that chapter in here at least once. First Corinthians chapter. It's the love chapter. It's the chapter that, you know, you see on Christmas cards or other cards, and it always, you know, quotes this. And I don't in one way I don't like to take this chapter alone because it sits right between chapter twelve and chapter fourteen and they're so tied together because Paul is talking about the Corinthian church which was out of control as far as there were divisions there was sexual immorality going on there were lawsuits going on with each other there were and then there was competition almost for who was more impressive with the gifts of the spirit you know they were they were taking the gifts and they were you know, it was almost like everybody wanted the, the spectacular gifts, you know, to impress people. And one of the big ones was tongues that they were doing, which means a known language. Okay? It's not talking about a static babble, it's talking about a known language. And I, I, I won't get into it now, but sometime if you want to ask about it, I'll, I'll show you the, the verses that specifically keep the whole context is about. A known language—that's what makes that gift so amazing—is that you know it was used. Someone didn't speak a language. If you think of Pentecost, on the morning of Pentecost, there were all different types of people from all over, and yet the apostles were Galileans and they were speaking in their languages. And that's what they were so amazed. They said, "How's this pot?" They thought they were drunk. If you remember, he said, Are "These guys drunk," and Peter said, "Hey, they're not drunk." He said. This is what the prophet Joel talked about, you know. And he goes on to that and he shows that. And they were speaking in other languages that they didn't speak. That was that miraculous gift going on there. And the Corinthians were, were, were out of control with this whole thing about tongues. And Paul writes in chapter 13, it's not only about that, it's about the whole church. There's so many illustrations of that you can connect to chapter 12 and chapter 14 there but it's still God's eternal truth and the truth about love is applied to every situation at any time A tr- truth that is truth that is absolute truth applies to every person every time in every situation truth doesn't change okay maybe the way we 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 uh, approach people with truth in our times and our culture, so that they understand it. But we never deviate from the truth of what the scriptures say.ing Here, so Paul starts out in First Corinthians here, and we're we're going to go through this very very quick because we don't have much time. And this is where this is a chapter naturally that you know we could spend months on and go through each characteristic of it. But these, what what Paul is talking about when he's talking about love is the gifts of the Spirit. Here, he's talking, and I'm sorry, he's not talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He's referring to these because of the gifts of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. I said gifts, I'm sorry. The fruit of the Spirit is what should, ultimately, it's what God works in our lives and changes us. Remember in Galatians, Paul says, for the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And some people believe that it's actually the fruit of the Spirit, they believe, is love. And peace, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all characteristics, actually, of love. So there are, there are different camps about that. Some say the fruit of the Spirit actually is love, And all those things follow with love. And others say, no, they're all fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But anyway, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, he says, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What is he saying there? He's saying that even if I have this great gift, But it's not driven by love. It's just a bunch of noise. Love has to be that motivation that drives that gift. He's saying it ultimately has to come through. The, The fruit of love has to be there behind the gift that God is giving. And then he goes on, he says, if I can fathom all mysteries, he says, and all knowledge. Now, Paul here is using hyperbole, okay, because no human being can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge in the universe. Only God can. But he's, he's kind of taken hyperbole to make a point here. He says, even if I had all that, he says, if I had the gift of prophecy, he says, first, he says, and I, I, I uh, can fathom all mysteries, and he says, and all knowledge. He says, and I have the faith to move a mountain. He says, but I have not love. What does he say? Nothing. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything if it's not driven by love. All that we do, if it's not driven by love, it doesn't mean anything. He says here, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. And what says, even if I become a martyr for Christ, he says, I actually, you know, I'm persecuted and I give myself to the flames, he says, but I have not love. He says, I gain nothing. He says, if I give everything to the poor, I gain nothing. He says, if it's not motivated by love, it's all about. Love. That's the mark of the Christian. If we operate outside of that uh, fruit of the Spirit, then the gift of the Spirit means nothing. Paul says, I gain nothing from all that, of all the things I'm doing here. And then what does he do? he And I, I hate to go through this so fast, but I, I, I want to get to another point. What does he say? He says, And think... Think about these qualities for a minute, okay? Would you? I'm going to say them slowly. Think about, here, you want to know a definition? Paul actually does us a favor. He gives us a definition of agape love. This is agape love. That self-sacrifice, that love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. He says here. He says love, he says, is not easily angered. He says it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He says it always trusts, it, it always protects, it always hopes. And he finally gets, he says, there always perseveres, love never fails. I just want to break down one or two of those real quickly and then I'll get to my point here. When he says love is patient, the idea of patient is not so much of circumstances. It's not the idea that I'm trying to fix that pipe under the faucet, you know, and it keeps leaking, and I get done, and then it's still leaking, and, you know, you're getting crazy, and you're banging the wrenches and throwing the wrenches and going back and forth to Home Depot to get another pipe because you cut it too short and all of that nonsense. He's not talking about that. He's talking about patience with people is what he's talking about. In fact, the context of it, the way it's written, is patience when people are really not treating you fairly, And go back to Jesus. When Jesus said to Peter, Peter, not seven times forgive, but 70 times seven. That's love being patient. It's putting up with that person, being patient with them, even though they might be acting very nasty. They might be asking, but you just don't attack them. He says that love, you keep keep a love for them there. It's patient like that. Think about God's love for us. Is God patient to us? Can you imagine if God did not have the patience he does? We would be wiped out. There'd be little piles of shoes and ashes right here, right now. We'd just be, so, we'd go up like Fourth of July here, and just one, you know, one of those, those things. It, we, we wouldn't survive for a moment. We just wouldn't suffice. Is it's patient, it's kind, it does not envy. The kind of love that he's talking about is do you get jealous when other people do good? Do you find yourself getting a little bit like huh, I can't believe how how did he get that promotion? I should have got that promotion. You start getting envious. Or huh, they get a new car every year. I'm breaking my back, you know, and I'm driving a 57 Plymouth. I don't like this. This is not good. You know, but do you get envious like that? Or do you rejoice for people that when people do well, do you have the feeling good for them? That's good. Why do we have to, why would we get envious of somebody else if they're doing good? You know, it's, but that, that sinful nature sometimes starts to get like, huh, how come it's not me? But these are the kind of things that, Paul is talking about, he says that love, agape love, doesn't do those things. And when we do those things, what do we do? God has provided what a, a gift of grace repentance is for us. We can't live where if you're a Christian, you can't live without repentance. You know, if if you if you go in every day without repentance, I don't know how you're walking with the Lord or you're walking with a heap of sin on top of you, I'll tell you that, <laughs> because I, I don't know, but I find myself repenting many times during the day. Repentance doesn't have to be, you know, a Psalm 51 kind of, you know, thing like that. It could just be, oh God, I'm sorry, Lord. I shouldn't have did that. i got to stop. Help me, Lord. You know, it, just an awareness of there are some things then we need to get before the Lord and maybe do a Psalm 51, you know, like David did. I'm mentioning Psalm 51 because the men are starting this Saturday again, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 51. So, just a quick infomercial in there. If you're a guy, Saturday morning, eight o'clock in the prayer room, hour and a half, we have a verse-by-verse study. We do, and uh, I encourage you to come. Okay, enough of that. Anyway, I I could go through all these. All these. I'm I'm not doing justice to 1 Corinthians 13, but. I'm just trying to today to make you aware of something of love. Now, how does that pertain right to us and our church? And that's what I want to I want to close with is that I just today my my goal is just to get you to think about where is love in your life? Where is your love for God and love for others? That's who we're supposed to be. I in my I think my New Year's message, the message was about where Jesus says, all the law and the commandments hang on these two commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine, imagine that the whole New Testament, all 39 books, Jesus said, I can give you in two commandments. Love God, love those around you. Vertical, get the vertical right, he says. Get the horizontal right. That's God's word, he says. That's what it's all about. Now, I was thinking this week, we're, we're in the process of getting a new pastor. And we all, I think, if we're, our eyes are open, realize that our church... Has really gotten smaller and smaller over these last four or five years we 're not a vibrant spark in the community, regardless of I know we try to have out you know once in a while an outreach this and that, but we 're not a city on a hill in Lake Grove and i 'm not saying this to beat us down I 'm part of the problem okay. I, I, I've been here for 15 years, but the problem—I'm—I'm going to say—we're—we're we're looking for a new pastor. Don't expect a new pastor to come in, and all of a sudden the church explodes. Because we're looking—we—I know the words right now. A popular thing in Christian circles and churches is revitalization. You know, it, that's kind of the. I kind of look at right now as the buzzword in Christianity and churches is revitalization. What is revitalization? I believe revitalization is when we learn to love the way Jesus told us to love. I believe if we really got serious about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we really got serious about loving those around us, natural programs would begin to go. we begin to naturally reach out to people. It's organic. That's what I'm trying to say. We need an organic movement. I'm not saying pastor won't come in and start to set things going and stuff, but we're in the mentality today that we, If we get this program... Nine Marks just put out a new program. It's called Church Revitalization. If we get this and read this and study it for 10 weeks, that's it. The church is going to explode. You know, it's going to blow up. That's it. Whoa, it's great. That's not... That's not how it works. Remember, I I think I said it a while ago, but A.W. Tozer once said, he said, his concern is with the churches today and he wrote this about 70 years ago maybe. He said, "My concern for church, the Christian community today is that if God was to withdraw the Holy Spirit when they said, Holy Spirit come back." Let's... And the person of the Holy Spirit left the churches, every church. He said that he believed that the majority of churches would continue on like nothing ever happened. He said they would have their services. They would have their programs. They would meet. Their Bible studies, their prayer. He said they wouldn't even realize the Holy Spirit was gone. And what we need more than anything, I believe, is for us, as the body of Christ, individual pieces of the body, we all make up one body, but as individuals, to love God. Now, you're going to say, but how do we do that? And you know what? As Christians, what do we usually say? I, well, maybe you don't. I've, I've said this many times to people when I'm talking to people and they start talking about, well, you know, I'm the Catholic religion or I'm a religious person, I'm this and that. What do Christians like to say? Christianity isn't a religion. It's a relationship. Have you ever said that? Two people. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I can't relate to you guys. I'm out. <laughs> okay. But it's a relationship. Go back to how do you build relationships? God is spirit, but He's a person. We relate to God by spending time with Him. Let me ask you, I don't want you to answer. How much time do you even think about God during the day? How many days go by where it's 12 o'clock and you're eating lunch and you went, hmm, oh God, yeah. And you then, ooh, I probably should have thanked God for eating this hero sandwich, but now, you know, it's afterwards, Lord, thank you. You know, and you ask how many times is God an afterthought where he's not central? When you wake up in the morning. Do you first acknowledge God? The first thing before you get out of bed, even before you have that first sip of coffee, do you, do you thank God? Lord, thank you for, for getting me through the night. For Maybe you had even a rough night, but thank you for a safe night. Thank you for another day. Thank you, Lord, I can see. Thank you, Lord, I can walk. I can get up myself. I can get dressed. Thank you, Lord, that I have a job that I have to drive 50 miles and work 10 hours and come back. And I'm not crazy about it, but thank you because it provides for me and my family's needs. You know, how, of, how often do you talk to God? I know I'm, I'm, I'm redundant about this, but I believe that is the key. We... We always, I said this a couple weeks ago, we always want to learn something new. But let's master what we know already. Let's put into practice. There is so much knowledge in these pews. I know, I sit on Saturday morning, and when I'm teaching, the guys put me through the test every week. I f- feel like, you know, I'm going for my driving test only, you know, with, with the Bible. I mean, the guys, we got deep thinkers, we got knowledgeable people. We have spiritual people here. But how much time are you spending with God? Are you more concerned about oh, this, this new book came out. I'll put the Bible away for a week or two while I read this new book. It might be great and outside materials are good. They have that's God gave us teachers and people to be able to bring us further and further along. But we first have to know God. And we... We kind of go for everything else, but we're missing, we're, you know, we're, we're eating the cranberries and the broccoli and the, all that stuff, but the steak is right there, the meat, and we miss it. We're leaving it, you know? I, I just, I encourage you, spend time with God. Learn to love Him. Think about when you first met your husband or your wife or your girlfriend. What did you want to do more than anything? Spend time together. Why do you get married? I want to spend the rest of my life with you. That's why we do that. Do you want to spend the rest of eternity with God? Then why aren't you getting to know Him? I'm not saying you don't, some of you, but I'm just trying to encourage you, to exhort you to get your relationship with Christ alive. You will start to love. Because if, when you read the Bible, and I'll... Okay, I'm going on here. I don't want to take it too long. But when, when you read the Bible, the more you learn about God, the more you will learn to love Him. When you see how great His love is, how great His patience is, when you see that God is patient, He's kind, He is not rude, He is not proud, he's, all those characteristics of agape love... When you see how much God has... I, I've been praying lately, thanking God for His patience with me. Because, Lord, I say, I don't know how you, you put up with me, but I am so grateful that you do. You know, that His love is like that. That's agape love. That He's just... We say Jesus died for my sins, but think about the repercussions of that. What that means for us. Eternal life. Forgiveness. We don't carry that sin anymore on us. That's that's amazing. I am I remember when I first I came to faith, God gave me that that re, he regenerated my heart and gave me the gift of faith and I said, "Oh Jesus, I need you, Lord. Forgive me." And I remember it was just like, "Oh, I'm forgiven." I knew I was forgiven. That night I put my head down on the pillow and I slept. I used to always I I couldn't I couldn't, couldn't put my head down on the pillow and be at peace until God came in and forgave me. There's nothing like that. And that's eternal once we come to him. You know That's the first thing. The second thing is think about your relationships with people. Are there people you should be loving? Start with your husband or your wife. How do we fall short with that? That's our most important human relationship. How will you love your kids? How do you love the people next door to you? Do you make an effort to go over and see them or go out of your way to... I know today it's, it's weird because people are very much in compartments. You know, we don't have... When I grew up, Everybody knew one another, and all the mothers would always be outside watching all the neighborhood. You know, I, I feel bad for like any predatory person that came in for kids. Those mothers would have came out there and beat the tar out of them, right? It's this and that. If they came, they watched. And so it's different today. Everybody works. Everybody comes home. They look at television, their computers. So they're not as much. But try to make opportunities for that, to love one another. And let's. Jesus said they'll know us by our our love for one another like that. All right, this is no new revelation. This is everything you know and you've heard for years. But I'm asking you, us, let's do it. Let's follow. Jesus said two commands we have. We don't have to memorize 5,000 commands. Love God, love your neighbor. That's, That's what we're called to do. And John says... If you're a Christian, that's what you do. He says, you love one another. And I'll read this from here, because we're going to be looking at it at a further time, but it really uh, ties in with this. I'll just read it to you here. In verse sixteen, what I read today, John says, "This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us. Agape, sacrificing, giving. He says. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Right. We follow the example of Christ. We're Christians, we're little Christs. We're to be like Jesus. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Later on Oh let me He says in verse 19 of chapter four, I'm jumping ahead, but this is last verse I'll read and this is important because Jesus said, first we love God, and then we love others. That's the way we can. And John says here, we love because He first loved us. See, it's God who loved us first, and in turn, then we can love. That's You've got to get the vertical right. The vertical has to be right, or you don't get the horizontal. He says... We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. I love John. He just you know, shoots straight, man. No you know, kind of tiptoeing around. He says, you're a liar. Like that. But he's telling it, tr- he's telling it straight because there were too many people. like he's, And this is probably addressed to those false teachers. He's saying, you know, anybody who says they love God, these teachers were but they didn't love other people. He says, they're liars. He says, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That same, that that thread runs throughout Scripture, loving God, loving others. It's simple, it's not easy it takes hard work it's a lot easier to write a uh, to read a book on how to love god and how to love others than to go to the bible and sit there and sweat through at times seeing your heart ask god to show you your heart it's scary it really can be at times because god will show you your heart and when he does that's where repentance comes in but that's where we grow and we lose some of that those sinful nature and desire and we start to reach out and love for one another let's pray, I've said enough Lord we, we know your words Lord we, we have your words memorized. some of us And yet, Lord, we find that at times we do not do them, Lord. And it's choice, Lord. It's a choice. We know that. We either trust you and obey you and love you or we love our sin more. Your word tells us, Lord, that everything that does not come from faith is sin sin is a choice lord or love is a choice we can choose lord give us i pray a spirit of self-sacrifice giving ourselves to you and then giving ourselves to one another lord help us to to be committed to not only just read your word But to hear your voice through it, Lord, by sitting quietly. And asking you to speak to our hearts, Lord. Your word says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, Lord, show us our hearts. May we repent when we see those things that don't belong there and may the Holy Spirit fill us with that love that we need, Lord, for you and for others. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, giving us your spirit, and giving us forgiveness of sins, Lord, and the hope of eternal life with you. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.